Welcome to another life-impacting message from City Light Church. You can find more great content like this online at citylight.church. Today's scripture reading is uh, from Titus 3. Um, so if you have your Bibles with you, I would, open, um, I would encourage you to flip open to Titus 3. We're going to go through the entire chapter. I'll be reading from the New International Version. Titus 3. Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always to be gentle toward everyone. At one time, we, were, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by, this Holy, by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Saviour, so that having, become justif- having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying. And I want, to stress, I want you to stress these things, so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time. After that, have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such people are warped and sinful. They are self-condemned. As, I, as soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me and Nicopolis, because I have decided to winter, here, to, to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos, the lawyer, and Apollos on their way, and see that they have everything they need. Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not live unproductive lives. Everyone who sends, send, everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, everyone, it's nice to see you. If we haven't met before, I'm Simon, uh, otherwise known as Jacko, and I'm the pastor here at City Light in North Adelaide. It's lovely to see you. If, I, if you do know me, it's good to see you again. Um, I've been away for a couple of weeks. Uh, as uh, one of our, our major sort of mission partner here at City Light North Adelaide is, the, is Compassion, uh, a church that seeks to release people from, at least release children from poverty in Jesus' name. And uh, we, as a church at City Light North Adelaide, sponsor about 150 kids, or thereabouts, I think it is, um, in the Philippines primarily, uh, particularly on an island in the Philippines called Masbate. A group of us uh, from City Light North and Glenelg went to Masbate. Uh, Ruth and Harold are there. Put your hands in the air. They came with me. I went with my little daughter, Stella, who's eight. Uh, and we spent a bit over a week uh, on Masbate, um, Looking at the work of Compassion, um, we had the privilege as well, I had the privilege with Stella to meet our two sponsored children, uh, who we sponsor through Compassion. Harold and Ruth got to meet their child again uh, and family. Um, It was great. Um, 
I got sick on the first day, uh, but then I was okay after that. Um, most people, you guys did okay, I think. You, you survived. You're still alive. It's good, yeah. Um, but uh, it was a good trip. Um, but one of the things I, I realised, actually, when I was away, was how much I missed you guys. Um, I was only away for, like, two weeks, right? And you might go, come on, Jacko, like, you know, like, it's not that long. But I did. Um, and partly it was because uh, we are in this book called Titus, the letter of Titus. Uh, Paul, the apostle in the first century, writes to this group of Christians on the island of Crete to this church whom he loves. Um, and as I was reading uh, Titus when I was away, I, it made me think of you guys um, and uh, how dear you are in my heart. Um, and also because Titus is really all about the church. Um, and so you, you came to my mind. And I was also kind of thinking, like, oh, I'd love there be, like, to be some North Adelaide people here with me. I mean, Stella was there. That was pretty nice, um, my daughter. But it would have been cool to have some more. So maybe next year um, you can go on the trip. But um, I'm assuming that over the past two weeks you have been in the book of Titus, um, that, you know, I'm just not jumping into chapter three and you guys go, what, Titus? Who? Where? What? Um, I'm assuming you've been in Titus one and two. Thanks, Tran, for taking care of that. Um, but I wonder, what, what have you learned from Titus? You might be here tonight and you're going, I've not been here, but what have you learned? I wonder what you've learned from this letter of Paul to Titus. Um, I don't know, maybe it was Titus chapter one, you, the, the sort of extended list of qualifications of the elder in a church, um, someone who's gripped by the grace of God, someone who's growing in godliness, someone who loves the truth. Maybe that struck you. Um, maybe chapter 2, last week, you were struck by the older women, the younger women, the older men, the younger men, and, and how as a family we are to get along with each other, and as we get along, we adorn the gospel, we make Jesus look really good. Uh, maybe that struck you. Uh, maybe as well, chapter 2, you were struck by this, the, beauty, the beautiful grace of God, and the, the grace that saves you is the grace that keeps transforming you. Maybe you were struck by that. As I've been reading the book of Titus, I'm struck by Paul's kind of call of affirmation to do good, to keep on doing good. Um, you know, if you love Jesus Christ, you're called to a life of doing good in the world. Um, it's a great book. It's a great book. I love it because it's about the church. It's about you. It's about me. Not just this kind of individuals, though. It's about a group of people who Paul is writing to and says, you can, you can change Crete. Through the gospel, you can change the world. Um, when I was doing some prep on uh, Titus, um, have you heard of the word cretin before? You know, like someone's a bit of a cretin. Um, like Crete had a reputation, right? Um, someone wrote around the early days when this book was kind of coming together, um, that someone said, I love Crete because when I go to Crete, there are no wild animals there because the people are wild animals. I thought that was kind of good. This is the nature of people. Um, and someone would use, um, someone would describe someone, um, they would come home from work and say, oh, I had to be a bit Cretan today, which meant I had to be dishonest, I had to be a liar. That's kind of the people that this guy Titus was called to plant churches amongst. Um, kind of like Adelaide, really, right? You know, a bunch of Cretans. There you go. But uh, I love it. We're in chapter three. Um, let's get stuck into it. I'm going to pray. Let's, let's, uh, let's think about God's word today. Lord, we know that your word is more valuable than gold and sweeter than honey. Please would you give us ears to hear, eyes to see, hearts of flesh, and wills to respond to the good news of the gospel tonight. And Lord, this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Come to chapter 3 tonight, a letter written by Paul to a young church planter on the island of Crete in the first century, and Titus is encouraged, I want you to plant a church in every single town on the island. That's your task. Paul has urged alongside that that Christians who live on Crete to live such good lives that they adorn the gospel that they've been saved by, to live out full lives of good works inside the church, chapter 2, Good works outside of the church, chapter 3, to advance the gospel. It's been communicated, Paul writes, on the backdrop of false teaching. The main false teaching, I think, has been teaching that suggests that the world out there is kind of defiled and dangerous and you ought not get too close to it. Um, And therefore, the most Christian thing to do is retreat, get into like a holy huddle. Don't get out there. I think that's the big, that's the kind of the, the false teaching, I think, that's going around. So if you have a look at chapter 1, verse 15, a bit of a review, Paul writes to this church and says, to the pure, all things are pure. That is to the Christians, but to those who are corrupted and do not believe, nothing is pure. The world out there is dangerous and it will defile you, so retreat, stay in your holy huddle, keep up the rituals, keep up the religiosity and the regulations, maintain your purity. But perhaps the big thrust of the letter back in the first century and for you and I tonight is that Paul's saying, don't retreat into holy huddles. Get out there. Get out there on the front foot and and advance the gospel, advance the kingdom. Because genuine Christianity drives us out into the world. The gospel drives us out into the world. And that's the nature of the gospel. That's the nature of the God of the gospel. Right from the get-go, God is a God who is a missionary God who sends his people to engage with real people in the real world that we would see real lives turned upside down. Right from the get-go, God sends out Abraham and says, I'm going to use you to take to transform the world. And we just see God is a missionary God right from Genesis 12 right through to the end. Christianity drives us, drives City Light Church North Adelaide out into the world. Always remembering, though, that we were once like the world, chapter 3, verse 3. And it's only because of the grace and mercy of God, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, that we're any different to the rest of the world. God himself didn't remain cosy in sort of monastic isolation. For our sake, he became nothing. For our sake, Jesus became poor. For our sake, Jesus had nowhere to lay his head so that you and I might be saved, redeemed, and have a future. I love this from John Stott. I think I've shared this before, but John Stott writes this. This might be you. Many people visualise a God who sits comfortably on a distant throne, remote, aloof, uninterested, and indifferent to the needs of mortals, until it may be they can badger him into taking action on their behalf. Such a view is wholly false. The Bible, though, reveals a God who long before it even occurs to man, woman, to turn to him, while man is still lost in darkness and sunk in sin, takes the initiative, rises from his throne, lays aside his glory, and stoops to seek until he finds him. That's the God we're talking about, who empties the treasury of heaven, who gives up the comforts of relationship within the Trinity, comes into our broken, messed up world in order to save sinners like you and me. And so tonight, I just want to share two keys from the book of Titus in chapter 3. Two keys that will, I think, thrust us out into the world. Not keeping us in a holy huddle, but thrust us out into the world. The two keys are these. Remember the past event of your salvation. 
Remember how you got saved. And then secondly, remember the future promise and the prospects of your salvation. Remember the future. Knowing those two things will kind of launch us out into North Adelaide, into Adelaide, to the ends of the earth. I'm sure of it. So let's have a look. Past event. Remember the past event of your salvation. Have a look in your Bible, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5. After um, Paul appeals to us to be subject to the rulers and the governors and the authorities of our world, Paul then says, you were once foolish, but when the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Two, two really key things there. Well, three things. He saved us. God saved us. We didn't save ourselves. And he saved us through, one, washing of rebirth, and secondly, renewal by the Holy Spirit. When the kindness and love of God, our Saviour, appeared, he saved us through, firstly, the washing of what I've called like a, a gained birth. Washing of rebirth. And this is something that we'd kind of been waiting for from the very beginning, that the Spirit would come, rebirth us. We've been waiting for this. So back, if you wind the clock back, right, right back to Genesis chapter 1, back to chapter 1, you'll see nothing was created and the Spirit was hovering over the uncreated world. And then with a word, the Spirit, in conjunction with the word, creates everything. And it's really good. God's good, orderly world sprang into being. But really quickly after that, I remember sharing the other day, like you open the first page of the Bible, that's where it's good, everything else is kind of bad after that. So chapter 1, it's all good. As humanity rebels against God's good order, as the world grows increasingly godless, the scriptures tell us, the prophets from Moses through to Daniel, they're looking ahead to the Spirit coming and, and renewing the world, making all things right. They speak, the prophets speak of a time when there'll be a new heavens and a, and a new earth, when God's good order will return, where peace and righteousness and shalom will be present. And when Jesus comes into the, the chaotic mess impacted by sin, he says the same thing. He promises a, a regenerated world, a world where there's no more sin and dying and death and tears, but a world renewed. And after Jesus' resurrection from the dead, the apostles begin to proclaim this reality that the glorious future is coming. At last, God will set everything right. And, and the reality is that God's already begun the project. When God raised Jesus from the dead by the Spirit, and then when Jesus is ascended to the right hand of God, he pours out the Holy Spirit onto people like you and me, and the project is started. The renewal of the world is beginning. And he's begun this project through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. It's begun, it's begun in us. I think it's good to just pause for a moment and think about that phrase, like washing of rebirth. Um, it's the language of being born again. That's the language. And I wonder if the language of being born again has been hijacked over the past, I don't know, 10, 20 years you know, such that when you hear born again, you might be here to born again, you go, oh, no, I didn't think this was one of those born again churches. Like, I was, you know, that's, that's a bit scary. What's going to happen tonight? Well, I think it's been hijacked by, you know, glitzy tele-evangelists with sharp suits and white teeth. And in one hand, a microphone, and the other hand, a plate, you know, to collect some cash. And maybe you're sitting there going, wow, I wonder when Simon's going to ask me for money, you know. 
But actually, the language of being born again, the washing of rebirth, it's, it's, it's language of Jesus himself. Jesus said to the most religious man around at the time, Nicodemus, John chapter 3, he said these words, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see God's kingdom. Unless one is born of water and the Spirit, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. The Apostle Peter, not long after Jesus rose from the dead and poured out his Spirit, says to Christians, 1 Peter chapter 1, you, we have been born again. So the language of being born again is authentic Christianity. To be born again means exactly what it says, a whole new, fresh start, a new beginning brought about by God. So just as one, you and I are born kind of physically through the extreme exertion of somebody else on our behalf, so one needs to be born again spiritually by God. And by calling it washing of rebirth, Paul captures the idea of a fresh start kind of perfectly, doesn't he? With every single part of our being washed clean, so that we can step out fresh, new, clean, whole new creation spiritually. Back to our verse, verse 5 there, you'll see washing every breath and renewal by the Holy Spirit. That's not renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's not like you have the Holy Spirit inside you and it just needs a bit of a recharge. That's, that's it's the renewal that the Holy Spirit, God himself, does. So the renewal of the Holy Spirit speaks of the living God himself flooding into the heart of a person and renewing every aspect of my being. Previously, a spiritually blind person can now see because God, the Holy Spirit, has been poured into our hearts and renewed my spiritual sight. Previously, a spiritually deaf person can now hear because God, the Holy Spirit, has been so poured into our hearts that we can now have spiritual ears to hear. Previously, a spiritually dead person can now come alive to God because God the Holy Spirit has been poured into my heart and brought me alive. And previously, a person whose mind was ignorant, not knowing God, now knows God because God the Holy Spirit has been poured into our heart and brought their mind alive. That's what it means to be renewed by the Holy Spirit, the whole person. Uh, J.C. Ryle, uh, a former bishop in the church in the UK some many, many years ago, writes this wonderful statement. He's commenting on John 3 um, and Jesus' words, but he says this. The change that our Lord here declares, needful to salvation, is evidently no slight or superficial one. It is not merely reformation or amendment or moral change or outward alteration of life. It is a thorough change of heart, will and character. It is a resurrection. It is a new creation. It is a passing from death to life. It is the implanting in our dead hearts a new principle from above. It is the calling into existence of a new creature with a new nature, new habits, new traits, new appetites, new judgments, new hopes, new fears. All this and nothing less than this is implied when our Lord declares that we need a new birth. Now, says Paul, remember the events of our salvation. And as one of the elders here at City Light Church, North Adelaide, one of my responsibilities is actually to just remind you constantly of the past events of your salvation. 
if you're here tonight and you've been born again. Because remembering what God has done in us will thrust us out into the world to share the good news and also do good. And the language of, I think the language of washing of rebirth is just absolutely brilliant, I reckon, because all those false teachers around Crete at this time, they're all saying, you know, if you step outside the holy huddle, you'll be defiled and you know, don't touch, don't taste, don't handle anything. They're, misrepre- they're kind of misrepresenting the whole Christian faith as if somehow the world out there can defile you. But you've been made clean. You've been made a new creation. You can step out into the world as a whole new being, certain of a new future. I'm going to apply this maybe in just a few moments if I actually get there, but I want to apply this in a moment. But I just want to address one maybe brief misunderstanding here that I think can sort of creep into churches at times. That idea of you, you experience a baptism to begin with and then you kind of get an infilling of the Holy Spirit a little bit later on. Um, some people call it the second baptism in the Holy Spirit. Um, I want to clear it up basically on, this, on the basis of what we see here. You see, some people believe that you come to know Jesus and, and you, you kind of get baptised, you get washed clean, but the Holy Spirit of God kind of comes in later and fills you up and kind of gets you going. That's what some people believe. I don't think it's what the scriptures actually present to us. So, you know, if you're here tonight and you, you know, it can, and it can cause all kinds of dramas, right? Because people go, oh, I've, I've been baptised, but I don't feel like I've got the Holy Spirit. But it's just not true. Some people use to kind of illustrate this whole idea of maybe there's a, a baptism and then a, a second bit that comes, like a gas hot water system. Anyone got a gas hot water system at home? Yeah, it's a brilliant illustration, I reckon. It's just really bad. It's just really wrong. Um, so there's, there's one that looks like mine at home, right? You know, um, so what they talk about is, like, you've got, um, you know, on your gas hot water system, um, if you've ever looked at one, there's like a pilot light, like a little, little flicker of a flame. So that's, that's like being baptised, washed clean. You get the pilot light comes on, but that's not all that effective, right? Like, it just sort of sits there to tell you this thing is working. Um, what the... Second baptism in the Holy Spirit, people say, is the Holy Spirit comes in and got the flame just lights up and the hot water is just like, it's like 55 degrees, perfect, you know? Like you're on, it's working. That's the idea. It's a kind of a neat illustration. It's just totally wrong. It doesn't represent the scriptures. It also, it particularly doesn't represent Titus chapter 3, verses kind of 4 and 5. Let me show you why. Grammar is good for you, right? Can we all say that? Grammar is good for you, yeah. So, he saved us, chapter 3, verse 5. That's the main verb, right? The clause. And everything kind of hangs off that main clause. So, he saved us. God saved us. Main verb, clause. Then you'll notice there's only one by. He saved us by, one by, two parts. Washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. You probably came here to church going, why am I doing grammar? I didn't come to church for grammar. I came for burritos. But here we are. He saved us, main verb, by washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's one event in the past that happened when you were born again. So it's not like you get baptised, washed clean, and then you've got to wait, I don't know, until whatever happens, and then you get the Holy Spirit. It's all one package such that when you come to know Jesus, when you're born again by his grace, the transformative work starts straight away. You're not waiting for the Spirit. And the result of that, he saved us by washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, is that you are justified. Hallelujah. That means forgiven. 
like totally declared right with God. Paul sums up the, the washing of rebirth and the renewal of the Holy Spirit by saying, and as a result of that, you are forgiven, justified, right with God. And the implication of this is either you are renewed by the Spirit and you're justified or you're not renewed by the Spirit and you're not justified, you're not born again. If you're not totally clear on that tonight, I really would, I want to sit down with you tonight over a burrito, over a taco, whatever's going on out there. I want to talk about it because it's massively important. You're either born again, renewed, um, with the Holy Spirit and justified and forgiven or you're not. That's the reality. So here is the past event of our salvation. We're talking about a past event of salvation leading to a whole new, fresh start. I know some of us here at City Light North Adelaide have had experience like living and growing up on farms, maybe with farm animals. Um, I haven't, but I've seen images of it and pictures. Um, it's, it's kind of dramatic, right, when you see a new animal, a calf born, like on the farm, right? And it's kind of, it's noisy, it's messy, it's bloody, it's painful, and sometimes the animal's so big you've got to hoist it up with stirrups. All this stuff, I'm assu- I haven't been there, but I'm assuming that's what happens. And there's all this drama going on, and it's, it's, it's chaos, it's crazy, and then all of a sudden, boom, this new animal just falls to the grass. And this animal's just lying there, and then it's like breathing. And then it sort of finds its way up onto its leg, and it, and it pokes its head up, and it's looking for you know, its mum. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a beautiful moment. And Paul says, this is healthy, authentic Christianity, being born again. You know, this is, there's a, when, you, when you get born again, there's a birth scene, right? Hopefully without the pain, the blood and the stirrups and the pulleys and things like that, but a birth scene leading to new life and the gift of the Holy Spirit. You know, once the genuine Christian, this is my story, once the genuine Christian was foolish, completely ignorant of God, just like the majority of people in North Adelaide, in this city, in, in your colleagues at your office, the, the, the people you study with at university, Ignorant of God, now by the grace of God, brought alive. Once the genuine Christian was disobedient, the whole will cried out in rebellion against God, but now the genuine Christian has been born again, brought alive. Once the genuine Christian was inevitably led astray, unfixed, no anchor, just wandering around, that was me. And now the genuine Christian has been born again, brought alive, they know the living God and have a certain future. Pre-Christian, pre-new birth, we passed our days, as Paul writes in this chapter, filled with malice and envy and hating and being hated. Now we're stood back on our feet to do good works for the glory of God. The question has been on my mind, it was on my mind in the Philippines. It was on my mind as I studied this. The question I want to ask us all tonight is, have you been born again? Have you been born again? It's important. I think it's a really important question. It's an important question tonight if if you you aren't a Christian. It's an important question tonight if you call yourself a Christian. If you haven't been born again, it may may well be that your Christianity is, is all about rules, all about ritual, all about religiosity, all these efforts to stay pure and clean, all the rest of it. 
But if you've been born again, you'll, you'll find yourself just alive to God, wanting to please him. You know, as J.C. Rowell said, with a new heart, new judgments, new future, new hopes, new loves, new desires, like those things that line up with him, the one who saved you. Have you been born again? When I was at church in Sydney, I was caring for a, a, um, a morning congregation. Um, it was an 8 a.m. service. Can you believe going to church at 8 a.m.? You know, I'd have to be there at like 7.30, you know. Um, and uh, it was a, a traditional service, right? It was a, what we would call in the Anglican church a prayer book service. Very, not, not as traditional as some, but, you know, we work through a sort of a set liturgy or format. And uh, um, the church in Sydney had been there for, you know, over 100 years. And one of the guys in my congregation had been at this church for over 50 years. He was 85. And uh, one Sunday, he was at church, as he pretty much every Sunday would do. And uh, he turned up and uh, came to church. And then that afternoon, my phone rang. And he said to me, Simon, today I became a Christian. I've been born again. And I said to him, no, 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 you, you're a Christian. You've been a Christian all your life. As far as, I mean, I haven't been, I haven't been there for 50 years, but I'm pretty, I was pretty confident he was a Christian. Been, you're a Christian. No, no, no. He said, I thought Christianity was all about, you know, pulling up your socks and trying harder and harder and harder over time to be better. And today I got the gospel. I've been born again. Have you been born again? Paul says that when the kindness and love of God our Saviour appeared, he saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. Undeserved favour. Not from within us, but from within God himself. Remember the past event of your salvation. And that'll thrust you out into the world. And secondly, remember the future promise and prospects of your salvation. When you remember the future promise and the prospects of your salvation, what lies ahead, that will free you up, fire you up, and thrust you out into the world because you're confident that you're saved, you're in Christ, and your future is certain no matter what. It will do it. It'll cause us to be courageously committed, deeply devoted, getting on with the good works that God has called us to do in advance, Ephesians chapter 2. But in Titus chapter 3, verse 7, Paul goes on. In the mercy of God, rebirth, rewashing, renewal by the Holy Spirit, therefore, having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. He goes on. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good, these things are excellent and profitable for everyone. He's justified you by his grace. Again, it's a bit of a technical term. His merciful washing of rebirth, renewal by the Holy Spirit, has brought the Christian to a whole new status, such that the born-again Christian can say, I am justified. Brought by God's Holy Spirit as he floods into our hearts and into our lives so the Christian can know exactly what the verdict will be on the next, on the great last day. I've been declared right before God. I mean, I, I say this all the time, but you know, the next great event in world history is not whether 
Trump gets another term. The next great event in world history is not, I've noticed next year is the next Olympic Games. Can you believe that? It's not Tokyo 2020. The next great event in world history on a world scale is the return of Jesus Christ, that great and terrible last day when the trumpet sounded, Jesus returns and to make all things new and all those who are in him will meet him in the air and be with him forever. That's the great thing we're looking forward to. And that's the day when Jesus returns to judge the living and the dead. And if by grace you've met Jesus and he's, born, he's rebirthed you in one of those dramatic birth scenes, right? That day is a day to look forward to because the verdict has always already been declared. You are right with God, justified, no fear. The word justified comes from the law courts. It means you've been acquitted. So, so in the court, right, you know, imagine you're there, the, the arguments have been put to and fro, the final statements have been made, and, and you're sitting there and you're, you're doomed, right? You're gone. But then the final judgment is pronounced, not guilty. And you walk out of the court and you stand on the, the steps of the courthouse and you declare, not because of anything you've done, I'm free. I'm free and I have a future. I'm acquitted. It speaks of the great exchange where Jesus Christ, God himself, takes the place of the sinner on the cross, carrying God's judgment for our rebellion against him, and he takes it in himself, dies the death that we deserve. You and I, once criminals, now acquitted, prince of sinners, now righteous, once guilty, now innocent. And it's not by us, but by him. And how could it be? I mean, when you read Titus, how could it be when we were such wayward fools? Ignorant, foolish, not loving God. But he so loved us. It's by God. And when we trust in Jesus Christ, we're given the righteousness of Christ, the purity of Christ, the, the perfection of Christ. And justification, right, it's a declaration by God. And when he looks at you, he sees perfection. He sees, he sees Jesus. Not because of anything inherently good in us, but because of the work of Jesus on the cross. So Paul says the Christian person who's been born again has been brought to new life. They've been renewed by the Holy Spirit such that we are now justified through the gift of faith in Jesus who carried the judgment for our sin upon his shoulders. He's now clothed us in the life of Christ and now God looks on us and sees Jesus and on that final day the verdict will be not guilty. Come on down. We need fear no judgment on that last day if you're in Christ. And therefore, verse 7, we are heirs of eternal life. Our future prospects are certain. Isn't that wonderful? And, and here in the book of Titus, we've kind of come full circle. Right in chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says, this is what God promised before time, to grant the hope of eternal life to sinners like you and me. Fools, people who loved brawling and quarrelling and hateful to others and filled with malice and envy and hating others. But look at us now, regenerated by the Holy Spirit, destined for that great day, a future glory, along with the whole of creation, the whole of the universe, when all things will be put right. And the reality is this future that we've been called into starts today and we get to live it out today. Chapter 3, verse 8. 
Paul says, this is a trustworthy saying. I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. A clarion call from Paul to to get on living this new life today for the good of all people and the glory of God. And I just want to say today that knowing your future Knowing the certainty of life with God forever in the new creation is what ought to empower us to live lives filled with good works, sharing the gospel today. For me, for me as a Christian bloke, not just because I'm a pastor, but because I'm a Christian bloke, it's the promises of God that that empower me to live as a Christian in the here and now. You know, God has made... Hundreds of promises throughout the scriptures, and every one of those promises finds its yes in Jesus. And yet there are some promises that that God is yet to fulfill, but guaranteed he will fulfill them. And it's those promises that innovate me. You know, I'm I'm getting older. I realize that I'm no longer a morning person or an evening person. I'm like a person who has a sweet spot at about 10.30 till 11 in the morning, and then before and after that, I'm I'm a waste of time. No, but I need the promises of God to get me out of bed in the morning. And what are those promises? There's so many. The promise that that God has begun a work in me and he will finish that work in me. The promise that Jesus will return to judge the living and the dead. And that propels me to share the good news with people and to live it out a life that glorifies him and adorns the gospel. The promise that when Jesus returns, he will make all things new. The heaven and the earth will come together and there will be perfection and we will live with him. And the the fourth one that just gets me out of bed and gets me excited is that we will see God and enjoy him forever, just as we were meant to do. Like, I don't know, my alarm clock doesn't get me out of bed in the morning. I've got three children. They even struggle to get me out of bed in the morning. But the promises of God get me out of bed in the morning. Because I know, not because of anything I've done, I was a fool. But by God's grace and mercy, I've been washed clean, given rebirth, renewed by the Holy Spirit, set on my feet, justified, and given a future. And that gets me out of bed in the morning. And that's why I think Paul is saying to Titus, he thrusts us out. Don't stay in your holy huddle. Get out there. You've been washed clean. The world can't defile you, but you can transform the world by the Holy Spirit as we do that together as a church. Alive, cleansed, and justified. So in order to get us out into the world, we've got to remember the, the past event of our salvation, where by God's grace and mercy we were born again, but also remembering we're the heirs of eternal life, justified, certain of our future, and so that innovates us and gets us out into the world. But I do want to say tonight, as we close, I reckon in a group of this size, there are probably people who I'm sure haven't yet been born again, who haven't yet come to know this mercy, this grace of God that washes sinners clean, renews them and transforms us and sets us on our feet for the new creation. I guarantee there are people here tonight who aren't yet born again. Maybe you're here tonight and and your understanding of Christianity has all been about rules and, and regulations racked with guilt and shame. Maybe your idea of Christianity is, if I try a bit harder, God will be satisfied with me. 
Perhaps you've never realized that Christianity is a free gift from a good and loving God. If that is you, would you like to be born again tonight? There won't be any blood on the floor, I promise. No pulleys and noise, too much noise. I hope. But as God floods into your life, there will be a birth scene, and it could happen right here tonight. You could walk out of here tonight from City Light Church, North Adelaide, thinking all I came for was a burrito, but I got eternal life. God sees me as perfect. I know the verdict on the last day. I am free. I am an heir of eternal life. I can go out into the world knowing that I have life today and forever. Would you like to be born again tonight? I'm going to pray a prayer now, inviting you to be born again, inviting you to to accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour. And I'm going to ask all of us to just to bow our heads. But if you're here tonight and you you go, yeah, I I want this free gift from Jesus, I want you to pray each line of the prayer, kind of after me, just in the quietness of your own heart. Start this new life today. Let's pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your great love for us. Thank you, Father, that while we were still sinners, you sent Jesus Christ to die for us. Father, I'm sorry for the way that I have lived a life in rebellion against you. Sorry that my life, because of that, has been marked by malice and envy and hate of others and being hated. Father, I ask that you would forgive me. Father, I thank you for the forgiveness that you wrought for us in Jesus on that cross of Calvary some 2,000 years ago. Lord, I want to be washed clean tonight. I need your spirit to renew me. And Lord, by that same renewing spirit, help me to live for Jesus. By that same renewing spirit, help me to love like Jesus. Father, help me, help us to look like Jesus, to sound like Jesus, to share the gospel of Jesus, not just amongst us here inside the church, but, Lord, out in the world for the good and profit of all people and, Lord, ultimately for the glory of your beautiful name. And, Lord, we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from City Light Church. We hope you found it helpful and we'd love for you to share this message with others. For more great content, more information about City Light Church or to donate to the work of City Light Church, visit us online at www.citylight.church.